Howdy friends, this is Marcus Smith welcoming you back to the Founders Forge podcast after a bit of a mid-season break. Today, Chris Casper has entered the Forge to talk about his entrepreneurial journey founding Techless. Welcome, Chris. We're glad to have you on the podcast. Yeah, Marcus, I've known you for a couple years now. I'm just happy to be here. This will be fun conversation because I don't get to talk about business most of the time. So let's do it. Awesome. That's the goal. And, you know, Chris, you've started multiple businesses over the years and out of your passion for your faith and family has kind of stemmed this venture. So uh, I think we've got a lot of interesting ground to cover for Techless. But uh, first, let's poke back into the, pit, the past a little bit. Uh, one of our most favorite things to do on the podcast is find threads that kind of lead from childhood into entrepreneurship. So to start, can you tell me where you grew up uh, as a kid and what your parents did? Yeah, yeah. So I grew up in this little tiny town called Shiner, Texas. 2,000 people, one stoplight, no chain restaurants, like no McDonald's, you know. Um, and my my mom stayed at home and dad worked at a family business, a fourth-generation family business. So I'm the fifth-gen and grew up, you know, going to the factory, I, you know, doing all kinds of work in the factory. And that was a fun experience. Was that a, a before you were a, a legal age to work, or was that all kosher post? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I didn't work. There was no slave labor going on. It was uh, stuff that I really enjoyed. You know, we had plenty of fun, too. <laughs> oh, but for sure. Definitely. No, that's the thing that I honestly love about family businesses is regardless of what child labor laws or whatever have out there, I really value kind of the beauty of training up young kids into what it looks like to do work and do business and all this stuff. And when you have and own your own business, it's a little bit easier to do that regardless. There is that business ownership, entrepreneurship in kind of in your blood from that early age you were introduced to it. Yeah. I mean, I really think that there's some genetic like fifth generation and entrepreneurship stuff going on here. And, you know, I've talked about the history of the family business and it's eight different companies and they've some have come and gone and been reinvented perpetually. And there's, you know, war comes and just changes the whole world and flips it on its head. And we've responded and reacted. And I've definitely got some of that. I grew up going to board meetings. And at the same time, I grew up knocking welding slag off of grill guards for four months, you know, just like minimum wage type stuff that was very motivating to go to college but I've, I've got to experience quite a bit yeah and in five generations that is an impressively long time I, I don't know what the I don't know average or statistics are for family businesses and how long they stay in the family versus get sold off or die down or whatever but uh, it seems like a really good track record yeah yeah I'd say it's I mean, the stat is less than 1% hit third generation. And so, wow. and I would say that also it's obviously God's hand in our life that's taken this far because we're not that smart. I mean, there's just some some things that have happened that have just been obviously him. So Yeah, for sure. No, that's awesome. And you said it's kind of gone through some ups and downs, but generally in the manufacturing space, is that kind of that background? Yeah, manufacturing is the history. You know, so my great-grandfather made the shopping cart um, you know, uh, we started making gym baskets. We, our family business probably made 95% of newspaper racks that you see in the United States wow. where you put in 50 cents and pull out a newspaper that, but you know, that, that's an old, old bygone era now, <laughs> but yeah. we've, we've definitely made our mark in different ways here. 
Oh man, that's awesome. And I, I know a lot of people in the welding industry. And so it's very interesting stuff that you have to do with uh, welding manufacturing. So that's awesome. And you mentioned college, uh, kind of a motivator to go to college. Can you give me an idea of what you chose to do for college, what that looked like and how quick you got out? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I didn't know what I wanted to do. So I just took got a business degree. Um, because that's the safe bet, right? And then I ended up getting a master's in art later. Hmm. But if you follow the trend of what I wanted to do, I wanted to do music um, and ended up doing art and I did film. Um, and there's this trend of creativity, kind of creative professional. Even at Texas A&M where I went, is a very non-creative school. So me hmm. and a bunch of buddies got together and started a group called Artists, which was just a bunch of creative folks that came together. And so, um, and, and kind of the trend between all of these things was that I just love changing culture. Culture, or helping influence culture in some way or another and art and technology and film and are all kind of at the tip of the spear so that's where I like to live yeah that's an interesting kind of combination background started with business and then went into art uh, some people will start in the art space and then realize they kind of need business to be able to make that go anywhere so you know take it as it is but I guess it sounds like you had that business concept you know that desire from at least a younger age and even if you didn't know exactly what you wanted to do is there and then the art side is that creative side like you mentioned and I look at entrepreneurship and usually entrepreneurs either land in the business bucket the man I'm really good at seeing trends and working with people and making something out of nothing you know in the business sense and strategy or they're the creative that has some awesome idea for what the future can look like and wants to just figure out how to execute that. And to be able to merge those two together is, is really powerful. You, you mentioned this kind of first thing that you did was in that art space, or at least it was, a, it was an organization. Where did you go out of college with that business and, and art background? Did you go back to the family business or did you already say like, hey, I want to take this and do something entrepreneurial with it? Yeah, so my first company I had was a company called Dancing Fox Films, where I did film production, and I really specialized on international ministries. So I was flying all over the all over the country. I mean, all over the world. I got hired by the Russian Ministry of Education, and I just I, there's huh. some cra- I, I could I could go on and on about all the cool adventures I had with that. Chick Fil A hired me for a piece. Um, and so just there's a lot of film in that first part of it. And then I said I was never going to work at the family business. And just through, I mean, seriously, I was like the one place in the world I wasn't going to go. And just through some pretty much divine intervention, it was the one place where I ended up working. And so I put in six years there. And again, kind of focused on culture there. I launched an ad agency. We became one of the eight subsidiary companies. We took on outside clients. And I was kind of the bridge between the creative side. So I'd hire really creative people. And the business side, um, I was one of the co-founders. And so we kind of had a really good mix there and grew that to about 15 people and started taking on some serious clients. And that was a really fun journey as well. Yeah, well, and that transition seems really kind of (laughs) relatively smooth of did art and film, you know, type stuff in college and then took that and that became doing creative film, but with a, you know, twist towards, you know, business needs or whatever, and then taking that and turning it into a digital agency and just kind of compounding on top of that. And ultimately, was the goal just I want to work for myself or was it a I want to find a way to use these skills for ministry or for just some other purpose in life? Yeah. So I think if you follow the trend line, 
what I get so excited about is changing people's lives at a deep level, cult, you know, like and back to changing culture, right? And so working at the family business, I was there for five, six years and made some great leaps and bounds helping the business, you know, be closer to what I would say God's design for business was. And I saw some, I mean, we transitioned from having four family member board seats to five with outside directors and bringing in company presidents and massive overhaul of our HR policies and, you know, really kind of pulling us 30 years from 30 years behind to mm-hmm. now we're on the front of the curve as far as benefits and all that looks like. And so I really did that. And once I was kind of hitting the law of diminishing returns and I feel like I had done what I could do to help, then it was time to say, okay, what's the next big thing that I can do? And I you know, came up with 20 different business concepts, t- narrowed it down to our top six, prayed about them, ran financial numbers on the six, and then narrowed it down to top two. And at the end of the day, Techless was the one that I felt had the greatest impact on the world. Um, and so that's how I landed on this. It was just a blank page exercise, essentially. Yeah. But the, the litmus test was which one can change the world in a positive way. That's awesome. And that's a really good transition into kind of the next phase of the podcast. But real quick, I'd, I'd hate to forgo this, uh, which is family and the value of family. You have a family, right? Yeah, yeah. So actually, my fourth daughter was born three days ago. So I'm super oh, excited. Yeah, yeah, very exciting time. Um, and my wife's doing great. And so, but yeah, it's been quite a journey. And we've done foster care throughout the years too. But right now, we just have four biological kids and we're taking a break from foster care. But it's a joy. Yeah, that's awesome. And though working in the family business, that's more structured kind of work. Regardless, you know, when you're doing entrepreneurial stuff, there's always the like, how do you balance family and the work that you're doing? Has that been a challenge or do you feel like, you know, you found kind of a good balance to to make that work? Oh man, it's tricky. I mean, that's like one of those questions you ask yourself every day. I'm sure everybody asks themselves that question every day. Um, I mean, I, I even asked, uh, if you're familiar with John Piper, he does these mm-hmm. sessions called Ask Pastor John. Well, I got to ask him in person, hey, how do you balance this stuff? You know, how can you change the world without leaving this wake of destruction of setting aside the things that you also claim that you value? Because you look at great leaders that have changed the world and oftentimes you look at their family and it's a mess. Yeah. And yeah. so, I'm, you know, what what is that balance? That's one of my biggest life questions I've been asking <laughs> and wrestling with. And he said, you know, just just be careful. Like, you know, you're asking the right question. Keep asking it. He had no silver bullet. And so take it a day at a time. (laughs) Yeah. Take it a day at a time and, you know, just constantly revisit it on an annual basis, you know, make sure. So I I set boundaries for myself around how little and how much I work just from an hourly basis. But, you know, and just touch base with my wife. How are things going? So Yeah. Yeah. Boundaries are huge. And another great transition into what Techless is, but not to get jumped into that too quick. You know, we've said Techless is the name of the business and you can kind of get some ideas of what that means. But can you give us the five word description of what Techless is? Five words. Whew. Never done that before. All right, let's do this. Can I give you two words? Sure. Oh, here, three. three. <laughs> Five or less. <laughs> three, yeah. three. Okay, healthy consumer tech. There you go. That, that's what we're going for, healthy consumer technology. Awesome. It's a very relevant conversation. I think regardless of what spheres you walk in, what worldview you have, it's really starting to proliferate culture to this realization that we've embraced technology. And, and this is, you know, technology is... Since the beginning of time, we've had technology. It's just what does that technology look like? And recently, these technologies have really made their ways into the deep parts of our lives and changed the way that we do life in a way that, yes, 
cars changed the way that we did life, different transportation or home goods or stuff like that have done that. But technology, in you know, modern technology, your phones, your TVs, those things are starting to be something that you know, become a pivotal point of someone's life versus just a tool that they use. And so I think you have a very relevant <laughs> business, but in that kind of train, it's a business, but what are you working on specifically the product? Ideally, we create businesses that are beyond one product that can take and embody a full vision for the world into a suite or a, a set of things that you do. But tell me about your first product. Yeah, yeah. So I think you hit the nail on the head. I mean, Amazon sells everything now, but they started out selling books online and that was mm -hmm. it. And they, they got their toehold there. And so right now our toehold is we're selling a minimalist phone. We call it Wise Phone. And it's a very basic, it calls, it texts, it has a few practical tools like map, clocks, camera, camera, and a calculator, no app store, no social media, no access to pornography. It's just this simple device that kind of works the way a phone used to work back in the day, but you can't find anything like it anymore. Yeah, it's like, uh, hey, let's try to find a flip phone. Oh, wait, they don't exist anymore. <laughs> like, yeah. let's make this. I mean, and it's actually not innovative in my opinion, yeah. but... <laughs> But it, it's there's a great need for it, actually. It's interesting, though, because you look at things like, you know, vinyl or different other old technologies that have become Vogue technologies or something like that. And you see different trends of why, you know, why we've chosen those different things. And, and we'll get into that real quick. But first, uh, how long have you been working on this kind of from inception? You talked about sitting down and just writing things out and coming to Techless. Uh, when was that? Yeah, so I'd say really I quit my full-time job and started Techless full-time January 2019. So it's been a little over two years, two and a half years or so. Um, and the first year and a half was just building the product, you know, concept, market research, making a product. We weren't selling anything. In the last six months or so, we've been selling online, which was, awesome. that was a big moment when we put it online, you know. Yeah, honestly, that like looking at different timelines, it seems like a pretty fast timeline, especially for a hardware product, though I think you've probably taken some advantage of certain tools that have made it a lot quicker than, you know, building something totally ground up hardware wise. You know, again, like <laughs> that's a sprint, you know, as it were. And it sounds like you really have, though, it not necessarily there, there are always things that we miss. Right. But you really it sounds like we're very strategic and intentional about the uh, the steps that you took to get to to where we are now, right? Definitely, yeah. And it, it was a journey. We made a lot of pivots throughout. I mean, that first year and a half, we probably, if we knew exactly what we wanted to build, we could have done it in nine months. Uh, but that's business, right? And you learn from mistakes, and we made some, and you learn from the market. And you know, I wrote a twelve-page paper why this whole thing should launch as software only, and I had hmm. advisors look at it, and the president of Y Combinator agreed with it, and all this stuff. And at the end of the day, it was the wrong decision. The market didn't want a software-only solution. It was too innovative, and they couldn't understand the. Idea idea of paying for an operating software. So we had to relaunch selling with hardware and that was that was a pain, but it's just what happens. Yeah, well, and, and ultimately that is what we're trying to draw out here, which is I think when we all start, unless you're, you know, a fifth time founder or something like that, you have this goal of just taking whatever's in your mind and willing it into being. And the reality is for entrepreneurs, there is no just willing it into being. There's always twists and turns and modifications and changes to what we're trying to make. And ultimately, I think as long as you don't lose sight of that ultimate vision, you still make what you want to. It just always almost looks quite different from that uh, that initial concept in your in your mind. 
Yeah, I mean, I mean, just like the last two weeks, I brought a new COO on board, and just he was looking at the market as a whole, and we've been really working on serving the kids market, and there's also some digital minimalists, which are kind of the hipster folks, and those are p- people that are fun to serve, and that's where my heart's at. But he's like, dude, the senior market is like going to blow up. I mean, right now there's just jitterbugs, the only one out there and we should go after the mm-hmm. senior market. I'm like, but that's not fun. But I started, li- <laughs> I, so I, so I just sat and listened to him and sure enough, he's right. The dude's smart. And so we're pivoting then starting to do some stuff for the senior market. But that was not what I wanted or entertained. But, you know, it's like put your pride down on the table and serve mm-hmm. where the pain is. And that's what we're trying to do here. So, and that just happened. Like I'm still trying yeah. to wrap my mind around that. <laughs> That's a hard conversation for founders too, especially when you have the visionary that has kind of this big grand hope and dream. And then not to say that they run up against the wall of the realist, but you have other people who come in and say like, you're trying to make something that's awesome, but what if it went here? And and of course the visionary is like, but that wasn't the, you know, that wasn't the dream. That wasn't the vision. But the interesting thing is sometimes it's taking that turn, taking that corner that allows you to actually get to the the greater vision it's the like if we keep running against this wall we're not going to get there but if we turn a little bit use this use this hallway to get to where we want to go and then keep going that's that's when you're able to actually make the progress that you want versus the let me go from zero to, to one without any change in in that hope and that vision yeah yeah and and i it makes when you talk about this it makes me think of my cousin jason who's the ceo of casper companies our family business and it's a it's a 125 year old company right and it's eight subsidiaries they're kind of hedged against one another so when the market does bad one company <laughs> does really good and when the market mm-hmm. does really well that company doesn't do as good but another does well so there's a tremendous amount of stability within this conglomerate but his rallying cry when he talks to people on quarterly share, you know, meetings to everybody, all company meetings, is survival. And I'm like, mm-hmm. really? We're one of the most stable companies in the nation, and you're t- telling you're telling us to survive. And and the more I think about it, I'm like, you know what? That's actually the rallying cry that keeps this company from getting dusty, rusty, old, not innovative, not hungry, and starts just disappears into nothing. And and that's actually what grows companies. And so I'm sitting in the same seat right now with a single company, a single product. And I'm kind of yeah. like, let's survive. You know, if we survive and are still around in three years, whatever it takes, then I'll be thrilled. Um, so yeah, it's, it's definitely that always day one mindset, right? Yeah. Which uh, to the same thing has made Amazon what it is today. So super powerful there. Real quick, you mentioned a little bit target market. I'd love to come back to that. And then we can get more into some of the gritty, nitty gritty of trying to take what you have and, and turn it into something. But yeah, who's that target market? and why that target market. Obviously, the mobile phone industry has kind of continued to consolidate. So what makes you special and why do you think those markets are what's going to give you that advantage? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So we applied for and got an interview at Y Combinator. So they flew us there and they asked this question and I gave a broad answer. Oh, we want to serve, you know, all this stuff. And Jeff Ralston, the president of Y Combinator, nailed me and he said, no, you have to serve a micro, micro, micro target. And so we are going after kids who are age 8 to 12 this is their first device and we have a really unique spin on it that makes it appealing to them we have an adult looking device that looks awesome very apple-esque minimalist appeal so you can keep your pride and your dignity but not have Mm -hmm. it doesn't look like a kid's phone um, and that's really who we're designing all our feature sets around. That being said, it's a little tricky because people look at it and it looks so cool. It looks like an adult device that we're getting a lot of working class people buy it and they, they buy it and they're like, well, but it's missing 
email. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> and, and we didn't make it for you, you know? And so, yeah, yeah. you know, maybe three years from now, I mean, I was literally talking with the guy, son of a, you know, potential investor, right? His dad's worth $5 billion <laughs> the last week. And he, uh, he was just harping on me. He's like, dude, I can't use your phone. I'm like, it's not for you. We talked for 30 minutes about it. Um, <laughs> but I'm yeah. really holding our ground on that because that's really, I mean, there's 8 million kids that if we could give them a porn-free phone for four years of their life, that we've changed the world, you know, in the in the yeah. U.S. And so that's really who we're going after initially. Of course, there are applications beyond that, but that's where my head's at. And that's a conversation that you have a lot with just different entrepreneurs as they're talking about who their market is and the, oh, but we could serve this, this, and this, and this. Yeah. It's a, you have two options. <laughs> well, yeah, there are a lot of options, but it's like either you work with this specific target market, you narrow down, and you find out that they're not a good target market, and then you find another target market. Or you find out that they are a decent target market, and then you saturate that market as much as possible yeah. until you've run out of ideas to get as much value from that market. Don't, don't get distracted by the other stuff. And you know everyone has their different opinions, but that is a common concept in the entrepreneurial space that if you can do that well, you're more likely to be successful. Drowning in opportunity is more likely than starving for customers. So to that point, you've got this target market. That's really awesome. How do you, how do you get to them? Because, you know, if you're saying this is for kids, then ultimately, most likely the kids probably not going to be the one buying it. Yeah. So my background is branding, marketing, you know, ad agency, whole nine yards. So that's kind of, I finally, now that we have a product, get to start doing my job. <laughs> I'm pretty excited yeah. about it. You know, my background. So I mean, you know, paid campaigns, targeting very niche groups is one strategy. Doing podcasts is another one. Um, I mean, we've got some really cool partnerships and some really cool content coming out that is working with parents that are perfectly in our target market. And that and and we're selling parents. That's what it is. We're selling parents. Mm -hmm. In fact, if you read our look at our whole website, there's almost nothing, no content for kids. Maybe we should fix that. Maybe we should put some stuff out there for kids so that they could. But at the end of the day, this is kind of like you know, kids want energy drinks. Of course, they want an iPhone, but their parent, because they love them, is going to say, "No, you can have lemonade. It's better than water." Yeah. <laughs> so it's this, it's this kind yeah. of comp it's a compromise for them, but it's because they love them, and I think kids know that deep down inside and actually appreciate those boundaries when they buy them a phone like this. And a lot of kids really receptive to it. But <laughs> so it's it, I'm really selling parents for now. And it's a no-brainer for so many of them. So many of them have just been saying, I've been dying for this. I've been wanting it. I've been trying to figure it out. My yeah. kid's 14 years old and I hadn't given him a phone yet. I'm like, yikes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that, you might... that doesn't work in today's society. It, it's but tough. But like also, yeah. you know, <laughs> what does work, right? You talk about like branding being your thing, right? And you look at entrepreneurs and they, you know, usually someone has something that they're really good at or, or whatever, but it's the things that we're not good at, the things that we have gaps for that really make the difference in a business. And ultimately, you know, Axon, we've built ourselves around that concept. Uh, let's talk real quick just about the fact that you're trying to integrate with hardware and that is not a any dev's job. That is a very specific set of individuals who can service that can you just give a short synopsis of that journey of going from, hey, we want to do hardware integration and we need it to be pretty low level because ultimately we want this to be a full package to, oh, we actually have been able to develop it. Yeah. So I don't know if I can give you a short story, but I'll try really hard. <laughs> There's quite a journey here. So 
I'm non-technical, right? And I knew early on our technical partnership mattered a lot. And so I partnered with somebody who was super trustworthy, especially from a moral standpoint. Like I dated his daughter in college uh, and we still have a good relationship, you know, like, <laughs> and, uh, you know, just a family friend. And he had a history of five previous startups all bought out. I mean, just stellar track record in telecommunications. And so hired him and his team, you know, and I had, I had an advisor, like I had a technical advisor. He was the creator of Apple iPad looking over my shoulder. You know, he worked at Apple. He's looking over my shoulder, checking this guy to make sure he's, he's legit. And at the end of the day, six months in, we found out just the hard way that he just didn't quite know what was going on. Um, he didn't know how deep this problem was that we're trying to solve because at the end of the day, mm-hmm. you could kind of lock down an iPhone or kind of lock down an Android device to make it safe, but you really can't. There are vulnerabilities at the manufacturer's level. I'm talking if there's 10 levels of phone <laughs> at level nine and a half, there's vulnerabilities that kids can exploit and use to look at stuff they shouldn't and, and to reset devices and all that stuff. So we had to get to level 10. And I realized at that moment that, you know, you put 10,000 developers in a room and there's only two guys that can work on that level. That's exactly right. And, and so, you know, I ended up being non-technical. I ended up opening up the hood and looking in it and just learning a little bit about what we're doing here and found out that there's a bunch of worms and it was not good. It was shaky architecture. It was a mm-hmm. mess. I ended up firing the whole dev team. It was a very respectful parting of ways. Like, we're still friends, uh-huh. but I still trust him from a moral perspective, but not from a competency perspective. And I ended up direct recruiting, you know, finding that guy, that one in 10,000 end up direct recruiting a team ourselves and it's been awesome since then but we just lost like i said lost nine months of dev time which will eat you alive from a startup perspective so there's the short story (laughs) yeah sometimes it's less about you know whatever money you spend on it and more about the time time that's spent that you know could have been done somewhere else or whatever and and that's always a hard thing to juggle because you're like oh man i did something wrong but the reality is you are where you are and you got to work with what you got and to that point, you know, how did you end up finding that person, that the one in a thousand? It was just prayer. Like, I mean, you know, no, we, we, we hired a bunch of different people for independent contracting projects and like just started shaking trees and calling people mm-hmm. and hiring recruiting agencies and ended up finding, finding this guy and worked with him on an independent contractor basis for six months before we offered him a full-time job. And he's now our director of development, has an equity stake in the company. You know, it was a match made in heaven. But that was not easy. I mean, I still don't know. I, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like brute force. Like, just try every option you can until you find something that sticks. And I think a key piece of that that people who are listening should, should realize is this concept of you don't have to hire them full time starting out. This concept of contract relationship, testing the waters. That's why so many of these big companies have internships. It's the same concept of let's see how this talent works with what we're trying to do. Oh, wow, they're great. Hire them in. Oh, wow, not so great. That's okay. We didn't commit to them for a, you know, a long job position. So yeah, that's totally that, it. That's our classic strategy. Almost everyone we have has been brought in as a contractor and we see how they work. And then, I mean, there's a couple of just full-time offers we've extended, but, <laughs> and it works out great because it's low risk for them and for you. They kind of know they're on the line. And, and if you part ways, it's not nasty. It's like, oh, thanks. I'm so glad you worked with us. See you later. <laughs> and you're smiling yeah. and they're smiling and, and, and you got good work out of them during that time, you know, and that's been very valuable for us. 
double I would double down on that. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And it's it's interesting because your family's business isn't a long-standing business. I'm sure there's a lot of that tradition for hire them in, keep them for forever, make it a, you know, career and whatnot. But there's this new kind of path uh, of labor now that's this, you know, contract type work and it's not super new, but a lot of people are coming to that realization more recently. How did you come to that kind of concept of, oh, I guess I don't need to hire this person full time to to get them working? Well, so it just leverages you. So our ad agency, I said we had 12 people full-time mm. working, but I had about 50 people working That's in true. any given time. I mean, it, there was an independent contractor group of seven guys that were developers that were working for three years. I don't know if you count them as full-time or not, but they were, yeah. you know. But it's it just it allows you to leverage your core staff and flex up and down with cash flow. So for Techless, there were months where we needed to be super lean because we're low on funds and we just fall back on our tiny team. And then other times we want to burn a lot and make some serious progress where well, we just amp it up. And so that way you don't have to fire your core team. You work in and out and let your contractors be your flex. Yeah, this is a, a super powerful concept, the concept of having a core team and then having a big, it's like a an atom, right? You've got a nucleus and then you've got all these electrons that spin around that make the full thing. But the reality is those are always interchanging and doing stuff like that. I think this new kind of model, and it's something that companies like Toyota Connected and some of these other companies that are really awesome companies, they do that because they realize the value of that type of model. So it's really cool. And as an agency, you know, in the space of agencies of contract work, there's probably a bit more of that, just even subcontracting between each other to get stuff done, especially on the tech side. That's what we do a lot. And so you probably had a little bit more visibility to that, but being able to bring that mindset into what you're doing is, is I think, super powerful. I guess, unless you have anything else kind of to talk about in that space or something else you want to bring up, we can cover a couple more fun questions and then we'll we'll call it good. Bring it on. What you got? <laughs> awesome. So maybe this isn't a, a, a short question, but I think it's a fun question, which is what's a recent piece of learning that has made you a better person, entrepreneur, et cetera? Oh, man. A recent piece of learning has made me a better entrepreneur here. Or person, father, yeah. so so for human me, being. Yeah, yeah. I, I for me, the journey I've had the last two or three years has been doubling down on fewer relationships and going much deeper. And I that's just <clears> my own personal journey. And so my wife and I, we had some good friends that we launched a home church with. And I can just say I, I've kind of been like aware of what I would call garage door culture in America, where people hmm. drive in their garage, they close the door, they watch Netflix, they open the door, they drive up, and that's it. And, and so you know, you might have a thousand. It's kind of like Facebook, right? You got four thousand yep. friends on Facebook, but they're all an inch deep. And for us, we've really been doubling down on the idea of deep vulnerable relational community, which is kind of in the techless ethos, right? You know, we're all about deepening relationship, cutting back from these more shallow relationships. Um, I mean, even even our company culture, we try to do face-to-face meetings as much as possible. Like I would rather drive five hours to go meet with an investor than to call them on Zoom for 30 minutes just because there's something valuable there. And sometimes there's moments. Yeah. And so that's been the biggest thing that I've just been trying to practice myself, especially with COVID, Zoom culture, the rise of that. Mm -hmm. And I'm letting go of so many secondary, tertiary relationships and just kind of narrow the pool and go deep with a few people. And it's been very rewarding for me. So good. Yeah, that was a perfect answer to the question. Another question, last question, favorite book, not a book you read recently that you liked What favorite book. Oh man. Okay. Well, I have, I have like and, seven, I have seven, but I'll give you one that just really is stuck with me. 
the book Essentialism. Hmm. If any of you read it, it's kind of it, and part of the inspiration for Techless comes from the book Essentialism. And it's really the idea of minimalism, but minimalism is just physical items. Like I own fewer things, right? You look at a minimalist mm-hmm. house and he has one picture on the wall and two forks. You know, that's yeah. kind of the exaggerated state of minimalism. But essentialism is saying, hey, what's your purpose in life? And instead of just doing 100 things halfway well, do two things really well. And so, man, that I, I read the book. It influenced me in a profound way. My wife and I did this epic like exercise where we had uh, <laughs> poker chips on the table, and yeah. each chip represented one hour that we had, one waking hour in the month. Okay, and we put wow. out note cards and said, and I just made this up. Okay, but it's based on the book, and we put out note cards of all the things we wanted to do in a month, and we had 350 note cards. Well, we started split up the poker chips. Oh yeah, and we realized that we didn't even have enough poker chips to cover about more than 100 items. And we're like, holy smokes, we're killing ourselves with our expectation for ourselves. I mean, and good things like, oh, I want to go call my mom every week, you know, like that's a good thing. But when you really get down and ask yourself, what am I trying to make in this world? And if I really want to make a difference, like triple down on that and let some other stuff slide. And that was a good exercise for me. So essentialism. I'll have to go read that book. That is that speaks directly to my mindset in life, and so uh, it's it's great to hear that. And I've never heard of the book, so I will put that in the show notes and look it up myself. Yeah. But yeah, so I guess uh, you know we're glad we were able to have you on today and talk about Techless, the company for pure what was it pure and simple consumer tech. So, yeah, that, that, that works. Really that sounds yeah. good. That's a good five word one. So. <laughs> Perfect. Oh yeah, I guess and is a word. It was obviously great hearing about kind of that experience trying to tackle this big technical problem, as well as that finding that niche of who that customer is supposed to be. And it was also great to talk about what it looks like to not necessarily have to have everyone around you be full time on the project to still be able to move things forward. So that was great. Obviously, best of luck on the journey, and hopefully we can catch up a while later to hear where the other barriers are that you're overcoming. In the meantime, do you mind sharing how our listeners can find you and Techless? Yeah. So if you're interested in more, all of our social media channels, <laughs> we probably shouldn't be on social, is at GoTechless. You can go also on techless.com and check out WiseFone. There's a ton more information there, some decent articles. We're putting out some content ourselves. But Marcus, you ask great questions. Thank you so much for having me on. It's been a joy. Yeah. Happy I could. And obviously, thanks to all our listeners as well for joining The Forge. As always, feel free to reach out and join in the conversation or get on the shortlist to sit in front of a mic. You can find all the relevant links and info in the show notes below. Until next time, keep up the hard work.